everyone welcome to the charbuk podcast this is your host kushal mehra all right my guest today is streamoy talukdar streamoy is a senior editor at first post he's a uh, you know him from twitter he regularly writes on you know politics international relations and strategic affairs he has recently written a series of op-eds they which cover AUKUS squad and Indochina relations and Indo-American relations and and I reached out to Srimoy and told them Srimoy come on the podcast and you know we can have a chat about it so Srimoy thanks a lot for coming thanks for inviting me Kushal great to be here all right so Srimoy let's start with this although today's podcast is primarily focused on Indochina and in China US but i just wanted to get this topic because i really liked your op-ed which you had written on AUKUS and Quad so just uh, briefly if you could tell everyone what AUK US AUKUS i don't know what it is called is and what is the Quad and how uh, does one have any effect on the other that's what i wanted because you wrote a beautiful op-ed on this and i just wanted that to be spoken about too uh thanks kushal so i i uh, my uh, position has been that aukus which is uh, primarily a, a security alliance between uh, us uk and australia instead of uh, hampering quad will aid quad in many ways that was my primary position but before i go into that let me just discuss the aukus bit uh, you know aukus sounds a very very awkward kind of a uh, you know acronym but basically it means that the us will share uh, the nuclear submarine technology with australia and uh, this is something which the us has not done before it has done this only with the uk and that too i think in the 1950s uh, it is the crowning glory of its military technology and it is loath to share this technology with even its closest allies so the fact that the us is sharing this tells us a lot about how it perceives the threat arising from china and how it perceives australia to be a very crucial peg in that strategy now the moment this came out into the open uh there were a lot of reactions the first reaction was mm-hmm. of course by france uh because yeah. france france uh, felt hard done by because australia cancelled its uh, submarine deal with france which it had struck amid a lot of fanfare and and actually the french industry was um, uh, had had put in a lot of effort and i think it it also meant a lot for france it provided jobs and it was a very big thing for france so they were hard done by they felt betrayed by australia and in the us so there was a french reaction here in india there was a clamor that uh, and ironically this uh, announcement came when modi was in the us um, mm. uh, for the quad in person meeting so there was a clamor in india that uh, this is uh, this is an example of uh, you know untrust for the us and how it has you know it has not given india the technology but it has chosen to give it to australia and it was uh, thought to be uh, an undermining of the quad which i don't think is the case why do i think so first of all i think that you know it is a little preposterous for india to demand and india did ask for this technology but us denied it i don't think that india is in his position to demand this because it simply does not share a security alliance with the us it's as simple as that india you know because of many reasons primarily i think because of its post colonial experience it prefers not to go into security alliances with any country that is fine but then we have to deal with the fallout of these decisions we can't you know say that we will not go into security alliance with anyone but yet at the same time despite remaining strategic despite retaining our strategic autonomy we will demand every piece of shiny new tech that comes out from other uh, places True. that is a, that is a preposterous position to take that is number one number two i think aukus will actually aid quad because at the end of the day what is quad the quad has stretched itself uh, a lot since its uh, initial days 
and right now it encompasses a lot of agendas but at its core this uh, grouping of four democracies this grouping of four democracies is is basically aimed at shaping the behavior of china it is not a military alliance first of all uh, and india has been very clear on that in fact the foreign secretary recently clarified that even the malabar exercises is not linked to the quad which i think is going to a bit extreme but a quad is not a uh, military alliance at least till now it does not have a military component it is not an asian nato so what exactly is it quad is a loose grouping of four indo pacific democracies who do a lot of things together but their primary thing is to shape the behavior of china according and along with that because of the pandemic the quad also wants to do a, a you know come out with vaccines for the indo pacific countries because it believes that china by dint of the fact that it it has a lot of clout by sharing these vaccines it wants to counter that influence it also wants to invest in building uh, infrastructure that does not put the countries under a lot of debt burden it wants to impose it, it wants to maintain the rules based order it wants to keep the trading lines free in south china sea which china wants to monopolize for itself so all these things are quad now how does aukus uh, aid quad my contention is that india's main threat from china comes from the land india is primarily invested in the land border with china it is it's its own uh, you know focus remains on the land and it, this threat is not going away anytime soon so if australia by dint of getting uh, possession of nuclear capable submarines can take care of the maritime flank then it don't only will help india because india and australia are like minded nations they don't have enmity between them in fact their strategic partnership is growing so if one strategic partner can actually cover to secure the maritime flank for india it will all be better why 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 should there be a, a, a direct conflict i think that this is my reasoning behind saying that i think aukus will actually aid quad all right got it now we get into the crux of uh, today's discussion which is not just indo china relations we'll start with uh, indo american relation american and uh, uh, chinese relations so so i don't know, let's start like this uh, shrimoy so what do you think the state of affairs is right now as far as is this the new cold war or is this the new war between the two big superpowers as we are uh, and do you think i don't know is some kind of conflict or confrontation now unavoidable well lot of questions rolled into one i'll take up one by one do i think there is a cold war yes there is i think the us and china are already in the middle of a cold war even if they might not be ready to admit so uh, simply because of the fact that uh, you know the 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 rivalry the great power rivalry is unavoidable china by the fact that it is growing so rich and the moment a country grows rich and the moment it has a large amount of population it it readily converts the economic power into military power which china has done now what is your aim behind converting your economic power into military power your aim is primarily to project your power in the near region so that you become a regional hegemon and eventually you project your power globally so that you take on the us which is the reigning hegemon so now when the us as the reigning hegemon looks at china which is an upstart which is coming up and challenging it in many domains then obviously the us without even uh, you know even if it doesn't want to it will have to take on china look at what is happening here china is seeking to maximizing its wealth its influence and its power and and not just that it is also rewriting the rules which the us has laid for its own benefit so far but china wants to rewrite those rules because it wants those rules to aid its own rise so inevitably there is a clash which touches on multiple domains the main conflict between us and china 
is structural as well as ideological as well because china not only is a structural rival of the us it is also an ideological rival because increasingly china True. is championing its own political ideology it is it is telling the world and and because of the fact that chinese political system has been so successful in in gaining wealth for its citizens other countries are too attracted to that and th- this is the reason why chinese political system is gaining currency and the us has waged an ideological war against it and and biden has been very clear on that but the problem starts because us is unlike china which is not a democracy and it can ignore uh, a, a lot of public action and reaction because it controls the avenues of expression through media it can it it can make its policies in a much more uh, uh, shall i say pointed way unlike that the us is a very uh, you know it it is just a very noisy democracy just like all democracies are what has happened mm. with the latest power shift in the us and with biden coming into the picture as i see it is that when biden first came into uh, white house initially uh, he promised extreme competition with china that it's in itself was was a little different from what he had promised during his campaigning stage during his campaigning stage at one point of time biden had famously said that you know do you think china will eat our lunch come on that's not going to happen that was his position during the campaigning stage the i think it it was 2019 or so but biden readily changed that position when he came into the white house and he and his and his team uh, identified china as the main threat and uh, an existential threat and uh, he promised extreme competition against the chinese but then the problem mm-hmm. started and the problem started where because china is also it it has its own agency it knows that if the us takes an extremely ideological and a structural uh, you know it behaves like a structural rival then it becomes difficult for china so china wanted to then exercise its own leverages into this relationship and one of the leverages that came very handy was the climate action see uh, as the as as the leader of the democratic party the climate change is of existential importance to biden and his team and there is a progressive corner in the in the democratic party that wants a uh, uh, us china cooperation because it believes that otherwise this uh, you know the 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 goal of climate action which is getting the global temperature below 1.5 degrees celsius will not be achieved so it is now actively pressurizing the biden administration to mend its relationship with china and this position has given china a lot of leverage because it has clearly told the us that unless you are backing off from an adversarial position on the other areas of the bilateral relationship which is your position on human rights xinjiang hong kong tibet and trade cyber theft then do not think do not think that we will cooperate with you on the climate action thing now this is mm. essentially the message which john kerry got when he went to china recently kerry came back obviously there was a lot of heated debate inside the biden administration and right now we see we are seeing a palpable shift from the biden administration from competition towards engagement something which has not borne fruit for the us in the past and i am pretty sure it will it is not going to be a fruit for china again it's just handing the leverage to china but then now i want to get into another aspect of the american and chinese relation well, what about taiwan um so this is you a lot of uh, back and forth has happened when it comes to if it was a, was it the chinese state media that said oh if we do something and we attack taiwan the americans are not going to respond blah 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 so do you think that is going to be the next big flashpoint when it comes to uh, chinese relations with the united states of america well that is what china would like the world to believe um 
China got a, uh, an opportunity uh, during the recent very chaotic withdrawal by the US from Afghanistan to portray to the world and specifically to Taiwan that the US is an unreliable ally. You know, the moment, uh, you know, that when Afghanistan chaos happened and when we all saw, or you know, how messy it was, then I, there was a series of editorials in Chinese uh, uh, state media all directed towards Taiwan saying that, look, Afghanistan used to be an ally of the US. This is how an ally is getting treated by Washington. Do not think that if we are, you know, if we come, if you invade you, this country will come and, uh, you know, uh, help you in any way. Because exactly. US, simply doesn't, US simply does not have any, any uh, you know, any credibility left. That was the yeah. narrative which China came out with. The US saw this and it also understood that this is damaging to its own narrative and it, it is damaging the stability of the Taiwan Strait. Uh, you know, there is an agreement between the US and China on Taiwan. What is that agreement? It was struck in 1979. That agreement was that the US will consider Taiwan as part of China. It will always refer to it the one China policy. However, it will maintain a strategic ambiguity on whether it will defend Taiwan or not if China invades it. The US right. has never made this policy clear. It believes that this strategic ambiguity best serves the interests of Taiwan Strait because according to the US, if it clarifies that, yes, I am going to defend Taiwan, then China might be tempted to attack Taiwan just to test that and the US will then be drawn into a war. So the US wants to keep that a little vague, but it wants to keep selling weapons to Taiwan and from time to time sending coded messages to say that we are, we have your back to Taiwan. That is the position. Now, when China started spreading this narrative that the US is an unreliable ally, it pushed the US to a corner where it had to commit itself to Taiwan in a much more, uh, uh, let, let's say, a much more um, clearer way than it would have ideally liked. So the US State Department came out with a series of statements saying that our commitment to Taiwan is rock solid. Now, as it mm -hmm. happens, as you rightly pointed out about this back and forth on Taiwan, this created a counter reaction in China. So China came out with its own, with its own set of action. And what was that set of action? Increasingly, we saw that China is uh, making some very provocative moves on the Taiwan Strait. It is regularly sending its fighter jets on the Taiwan's air defense identification zone. Short, uh, it is called Adis in short. So on October, mm -hmm. I think it's, it was on October 4th, if I'm not wrong. Yes, on October 4th, it sent 56 PLA jets to Taiwan's airspace. And overall, during that week, it sent 145 jets. And basically, it, it, you know, and it, was, it was very clear to everyone that Taiwan is, uh, China is bullying Taiwan. And, and, at, yeah. and during, at that point of time, Biden and uh, Xi Jinping had a phone call. I think it was, uh, the US was quite alarmed about what was happening. And apparently, uh, they decided that they will both abide by the Taiwan agreement. Now, my reading of the situation is that the Taiwan incident or, or whatever is being uh, happening in Taiwan is, 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 is a whole lot of rhetoric and it is a feint. It is not, it, it is not really uh, China's uh, plan right now to invade Taiwan. Why am I saying that? Because I believe that the Chinese will never start a war unless it is sure of winning it. China has never been a very, uh, you know, the, the, the Chinese uh, Communist Party is a very rational actor. It might pose to be a, a very warmongering and aggressive force, but it is also a very rational actor. It, it can never be sure that if it attacks Taiwan, that the U.S. will not come to Taiwan's aid. And it can never be sure that if it attacks Taiwan, the U.S., the resultant U.S.-China war will end favorably in, 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 for China. 
So that is a risk which I don't think that Xi Jinping, at least before the 20th Party Congress, where he is slated to get his third term, is 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 is, is a risk which Xi Jinping is willing to take. He is obviously doing a lot of rhetoric here because he wants his nation to know that U.S. Uh, you know he wants his nation to see that you know he is very strong and Taiwan will always remain a part of China. This is all for domestic consumption. I do not believe that this is in reality. There is a chance that the that China will invade Taiwan, and I think the U.S. intelligence community also has the same assessment. They have come out with the same assessment that there is no possibility of an invasion right now. However, the heightened tension around Taiwan is. Is indicative, and it has caused many analysts to say that it could be a flashpoint. That is, however, not my reading of the situation. I believe that it is more of a rhetoric which is going on, and both sides are posturing. But but then, what do you make of you know there are so many steps that China has taken on the nuclear front, especially this this latest testing of the hypersonic glide missile yep. system. So so what what is it trying to show there? Then what is happening uh, over there? Yeah, so so that, that's very interesting. I think. Uh, what what China has done? China has taken a series of uh, you know um, steps on the nuclear front. It has first of all, it has tested a hypersonic glide vehicle. Uh, that hypersonic glide vehicle has two parts. It, it it has one glide vehicle part which is hypersonic, and also uh, which is called a fractional orbital bombardment system or FOBs. This was used by the this was tested by the USSR back in the Cold War days. At the same time, it has also uh, it has. Um, I'll just tell you the exact number. It has also, uh, you know, it is it is raiding 250 long-range missile silos in a part of Mongolia, and uh, it is also using a space-based early warning system for its missile uh, uh, launches. Now, I think all these point to the fact, and some analysts have pointed out that China is trying to do two things. It is trying to improve its survivability. And its penetrability of the nuclear weapons. Now, why would China want to do that, and why now? I think what has happened here is that China has realized that uh, since the the trajectory of U.S.-China relationship is heading towards a friction, and if not a hot action, it will be a cold war kind of a scenario. It must gear up on its nuclear uh, armament front, where it seriously lags behind the U.S. But why is it doing it now? That is the question which many analysts have tackled. That this is something which China could have done earlier as well. Why is it doing it now? I think part of the reason, and once again, this is a hypothesis, but this is what I think. I think part of the reason is that if it wants to ensure that, given a, a, a situation where there is a conflict in Taiwan, the U.S. cannot use its nuclear superiority as a, 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 a motivating factor in that conflict, or in other words. it wants a stalemate with the us in the nuclear arena so that when that stalemate on the nuclear arena is achieved in the conventional war scenario it can challenge the us in a much more greater way because the us is a is a greater nuclear power than china is right now it helps china to achieve a some sort of parity on the nuclear front so that in the conventional front where china and us is uh, uh, you know military strengths are are more equitable china can actually challenge the us or it can go ahead and start a war with taiwan without worrying too much about us nuclear capability so i i believe that this is one of the reasons why it has started taking these actions right now basically to uh, if if i were to sort of uh, uh, put it in in one uh, line i would say that it is trying to reach a stalemate at the nuclear level so that it can it can exploit that stalemate and then challenge the status quo at the conventional level which exists between 
US and China so that uh, if, if there is a war, there is no fear of nuclear war, but in a conventional war, it can subdue the US in that geography. I think that is China's calculation. All right. So, so basically what you're saying is the latest steps that is has taken is like if I was to preface it properly, this is some sort of a bargaining chip where, uh, yes. you know, if you do this, we can do that. So, uh, so China is peacocking. That's what it's doing. If you, if, if you could say that. I think it is, it is more of it, it is trying to uh, achieve some sort of theoretical bargaining position with the U.S. so that it can deter the U.S. from taking any action where it to invade Taiwan. See, all these postures right. are hypothetical, but but at the same time, all states are insecure beings, you know, and states always act under the assumption that the other state is going to attack it. So that that is that is the, that is the security spiral which sometimes leads us to war. Anyway, all right. Now let's get into the the whole Indo-China relationship. So oh, yeah. maybe we start from what are what, what do you think is the current state of affairs, and then maybe we get into the whole Indo-China uh you know border standoff so what do you make of it in fact you know a live viewer has also asked a, a border related question um so in fact they have said that uh, you know even if china and india formally signed a treaty to settle its border issues why should india even trust china to abide by any treaty well that's a very valid question um i i in one word kushal i'm worried i'm very worried about what is happening in the border region and I think that we are in for a very hot winter, and I uh, I will I will say what 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 eventually I'll explain. But I want to say that first up, I believe that a short short but sharp conflict, uh, uh, maybe in the eastern sector of um, you know uh, of the LSE in the Arunachal Pradesh region, uh, it possibly it can break out uh, and and break out quite soon. I think that is my reading of the situation. Now, what is the current status? Uh, it was very depressing to see that the 13th round of military level talks reach a stalemate. Now, stalemate has been reached before, but what was worrying this time was the kind of language both sides used to explain what has happened during the meeting. India said that we came out with a series of offerings, series of suggestions, which China did not take. India has never been so explicit before. China, mm. in turn, said that India is making some unreasonable demands. So, you know, and because India is taking those unreasonable uh, claims and demands, obviously the talks have failed. Now, in China's position, it is quite apparent that what they are up to, uh, even though they have not admitted it. Uh, what is India's unreasonable demand? India's only demand has been that let us re revert to the April 2020 status quo. That has been India's sole demand during the border negotiations. A demand which China now calls unreasonable. Why would a demand China? Why would it? Why, why would China call a demand to return to pre-April 2020 status quo unreasonable? It can only say so if it has already encroached on territory which India considers as its own, and India is, is 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 asking it to push back. It is asking it to withdraw, and it is saying that look, boss, we are not going to do that because your demand is unreasonable. So I think willy-nilly, it's an admission from China. They are encroaching on the territory which which I believe is in the territory which both sides claim in along the LSE. So that is the situation right now. Now, for any uh, negotiation to succeed, we need leverages. What leverages do mm. in, does India have? And once again, we, we head towards another very worrying confusion. You will, uh, you will notice that the Pangong so uh, uh, disengagement happened. But while the disengagement took place, India gave up its own positions on the Kailash Heights. Now, it was pretty obvious that India's leverage 
which which was gaining the uh, kailash height region that was bartered away during the pangong so uh, uh, disengagement and i think that mm. that happened i'm forgetting the dates then later on we also saw another disengagement in the in, in the in the gogra region but ever since nothing has moved forward it is now quite clear that china perceives that india has no more leverage left and unless india has any leverage it will not be able to force china out of those positions where it is encroaching on simply by persuading it to do so and china is taking a very hard line increasingly harder line because if you look at what has happened recently it has passed a border law where it is now going to legitimize those land grabs not just in india but also in bhutan what does this border mm. law say this border law says that all uh, chinese territory is inviolable and if anyone tries to encroach on those territory there will be a combat so this is an open intimidation of india and bhutan saying that look we have grabbed whatever we could and now if you want us to withdraw from these regions we'll have a heavy price to pay this is what they're saying in effect by their border law and remember it is not just india uh, china has also grabbed a lot of bhutanese land and not just that it has also brought in settlers from all around uh, tibet and put them on those border villages as a way of legitimizing their claim over those over those uh, disputed lands and to put pressure on india it has also reportedly struck an mou with bhutan we do not know the details of this mou but chinese media has gone to town claiming that uh, this mou with bhutan is landmark it is ground breaking and this will pave the way for disengage uh, uh, this will pave the way for a border deal between china and india now obviously this raises nervousness in in india because any deal between china and bhutan will also involve india because bhutan's territory and some strategic areas of bhutan's territory is strategically very vulnerable and very important for india you know what happened during doklam when they tried mm-hmm. to build a road in the doklam valley which uh, which which actually overlooks the the siliguri corridor of india and india would have mm-hmm. could have not afforded not to react so they had to react so uh, we have we have seen media reports it says that right now there is at, at least till now there is uh, the, the trijunction area is not part of the deal but we do not know what is going to happen in the future so that is a nervous that, that is there is a nervousness inside india there is a pressure point which china is pressing on at the other hand along with this it is also doing a lot of things in the eastern sector while we are remaining engaged in the western sector of ladakh in the eastern sector they are really upping the ante and a series of media reports say that a lot of activity is going on in those regions first of all there are live fire drills which is going on nighttime drills the that there are shelters for the uh, you know the the soldiers so that they can survive the bitter winter along with that pla's higher officials are all coming and visiting those areas very frequently and the very state of the art equipment is being deployed and those equipment are used to conduct uh, military exercises basically to intimidate in india and mm. i think today the hindustan times has come out with a report which clearly says that at least there are three points i think it's called um, i'm i'm forgetting the names of those three points where india perceives that you know very heightened amount of activity and indian forces are on very high alert and they have matched their uh, uh, you know deployment so all in all the situation is very tense it is like a being in a tinder box and uh, i uh, it, it's very worrying i think at a for india it is certainly very worrying all right okay shrimai now let's start taking a few live viewers questions so i'll start uh, with uh, the first one and then we'll follow it up so 
Okay, the first question is, isn't it better for India to focus on becoming a member of the Five Eyes Intelligence Network as has been mooted in a recent US Congress Committee report? Well, I think this is a decision which India cannot take by its on its own. Uh, for India to become a part of that Five Eyes Intelligence Network, it will have to have some sort of a formal alliance with, with, uh, with the US or any of these countries. But the problem with India is that it, it never, it, it deters, it detests uh, going into alliance with any country. That has been India's stated position regardless of the government. And, and, I, I, and I think for better or for worse, uh, India is going to stick to it. It, it, it believes uh, that this position that is remaining, uh, uh, retaining its strategic autonomy serves its interests the best and it can... And I don't think it, 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 it has uh, any plans of going into any alliance. Uh, the second thing is that the best thing for India, if that is the question, what is the best thing? I think the best thing for mm -hmm. India to, to deter China is to grow strong, you know, post double digit GDP growth for two decades and catch China by the horns. But, you know, that will take some doing. Mm. And that will take uh, this country to get over socialism. And that's <laughs> a lot of taking. So, all right. Another question. Um, okay, this is interesting because you've made a different uh, prognosis or, or hypothesis here. So, so this question says, isn't the world, especially India, overestimating China's military capabilities and economic sustainability? China, the Chinese uh, are known to be irrational and they also have to have blind spots. So what do you think? Well, I hope we are overestimating, but I suspect we are not. <laughs> uh, uh, and I don't think China is an irrational actor. I think China is a highly rational actor. It understands mm -hmm. the security um, uh, dilemmas very well. It employs leverages very well. It is a hyper-realist power. It, it, it doesn't believe in idealism when it comes to projecting its own power. And uh, whether China's weaknesses, sure it does. Whether China's economic uh, you know, progress has stalled, yes, it is stalling. It is stalling due to a number of reasons and China is facing a lot of internal problems. But that said, China's economy is still five times that of India's and, uh, and it is competing with the U.S. in terms of military prowess. And India is, is miles, miles uh, you know, away from that when it comes to China's economic, uh, economic as well as military prowess. The one thing which works for India is that the, milit the, the, the Himalayan terrain where these, uh, this, this conflict is likely to take place, that uh, to a certain degree nullifies China's advantage in terms of military prowess. Because it, 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 it introduces some, uh, some factors in the conflict which India, India is better able due to its uh, superior uh, you know, uh, army which has fought a lot of wars. It is better able to tackle those. We've seen that during the, the gaining of Kailash Heights. Uh, but that said, that is a limited advantage. You will also notice that China had a, a, a drawback in, the, in terms of air power because it did not have a, 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 a sort of... Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm forgetting the term. It, 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 it did not have the capability to uh, to launch its uh, you know fighter jets from very close in the border. Uh, something which India had because it had its sorry uh, um, the term uh, the place where the air takes off the the fighter jets takes off. So it it, it uh, that that launch pads. Now these launch pads are coming up in Tibet. So that differential between India and China is now. All getting reduced almost in a daily basis. And uh, I, I don't think that we can uh, rest on this assumption that China must be having its weakness. It, its military might not be as, as uh, powerful as it claims to be. And then it is not for us to take that position. On the other hand, we should be, we should be doubly careful 
and we should uh, we should strategize on the belief that chinese uh, military is quite strong and we should do our best to nullify that position i think that is the rational position for us to take uh, whether or not china has its vulnerabilities i'm sure it has but those vulnerabilities are i i i'm not sure that that will come into play in this conflict if it were to break out between india and china in the border regions all right okay well, uh, so next question is how crucial is nepal in the indo china equation does india need to pay more attention to relations with nepal lest they entirely align with china yeah that's that, that's a good question actually you know um uh, nepal has always been at the center of india and china relationships it's, it's not a new thing it has it has been the case uh, since india became independent as uh, something which jawaharlal nehru himself had admitted uh you know the 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 play mm. the the crucial uh, position that nepal enjoys in, in 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 between india and china what has happened now increasingly is that um uh as with any uh, every other thing china's economic prowess has grown so since china has become very wealthy it can now afford to spend a lot of money in uh in luring these states which historically has a lot of cultural and historical uh and traditional ties with india in luring these states into its own circle simply because it can fund a lot of things and uh, just like any other country uh, uh just like any other small and poor country nepal needs a lot of infrastructure it needs a lot of investment and china is in a better position than india to to feed these investments need to to feed these infrastructure needs so naturally there is a uh, there will be uh, you know uh, some degree of influence of china inside nepal that influence can only grow but india is also not sitting idle i think there was some sort of a miscalculation at one point of time and india thought that uh pressurizing nepal will or or using coercive uh, tactics will help nepal be on india's side more than on chinese side but it backfired and ever since india has been careful not to go that go down that road again i think you will you will find now that india and China, nepal nepal's rela- relationship is right right now is more of an even keel and and indian leaders political leaders uh they go out of their way to convey a message to nepal that they are a very important part of a very important ally for india uh, and i i think that uh, whatever we could have done whatever we can do we are doing but uh because of the fact that china is so wealthy and and it it it, it we can't really you know go into a competition of checkbook diplomacy with them that is not really in in our uh, ability uh, we can of course stress on our historical religious and cultural ties societal ties and we are doing that uh, we are also helping nepal in other ways but uh, as far as checkbook diplomacy is concerned i think china will always have an edge right the same logic applies to sri lanka right this whole checkbook diplomacy thing we just don't have the resources beyond to find china just outbids us right in most cases right but then there is also a flip side to it uh, because of the fact that uh, these uh, entities which through which china uh, you know uh, extends its um influences uh which are part of this uh the belt and road network uh it, there's a flip side the flip side is that more often than not these um to uh it has been seen that these infrastructure puts the host country under a huge amount of chinese debt and slowly that debt compels these countries to part with their crucial infrastructure needs and and this is what has happened in sri lanka uh, it has been uh, forced to give away sambantota port to china many other countries are finding that chinese debt uh, chinese infrastructure come with a lot of strings and uh, they they are ruining the fact that um, they are there and, and sri lanka is also suffering because it is it is fine, it is really struggling to uh, repay the debts pakistan is also struggling uh, 
the mm. problem however is that even though they are struggling even though they are they, they are they are really stretching their budgets and 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 they are mortgaging their properties away to china as it were but mm-hmm. it is still china which comes out with these offers the other countries and here i will call you know the the, the quad the indo pacific democracies for all their talk for all their resolutions and for all their statements they have not been able to really come out with an alternative they have been there have been discussions we we know about blue dot network we know about uh, uh, building back better infrastructure where the us and india and all the other quad democracies have promised that they will give better alternatives to china in terms of infrastructure we do, we haven't really seen that i think unless that happens for a smaller country which which is in dire need of infrastructure as well as investment the chinese option will always be more attractive even though you know that farther down the road you might be able to, you might have to part with your uh, you know property you might have to part with one island but still these countries are willing to take that risk that is what china is stepping in that is what it is it, it, it is it is banking on all right so one more question and maybe we can wrap it up i know you uh, you have a time constraint so somebody has asked uh, a live viewer has asked does india continue to underestimate china's ruthlessness in a weird way and as a result of that show itself to be tactically and strategically dumb <laughs> um i don't know uh, i don't think india underestimates china's ruthlessness uh, i think if anything it understands china better than perhaps the western nations it it uh, it took a decision and banned all the the, the apps from um, indian market which i think was a decision which other countries were seriously um, uh, considering taking at least the us was seriously considering taking it is also highlighted the problems with bri much earlier than other countries did in fact when bri was launched india was absent from that launch and it it, yeah. it, it said that it, it said quite clearly that this um, this is something which we don't support because it violates our sovereignty and of course there is a there's a debt trap which is associated with it so india has been quite clear eyed about china i think more so than other western nations uh, certainly european nations who still hope to somehow sell their cars to china while mouth you know the odd uh, statement about xinjiang and and tibet and hong kong but all they're interested mm-hmm. is 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 securing more business deals with china economic deals uh, india has certainly been been more clear right and the biden administration which seems to be quite confused right now between uh, competition mm-hmm. and engagement one part of the biden administration like jake sullivan he says that you know we should be uh, uh, we should be very careful in not trading off competition uh, uh, with china in in, in uh, while while give, getting cooperation from them on climate but john kerry says yeah. that look unless the situation improves between us and china i'll not be able to reach my target so he's he's junking the he's he's been the man behind scuttling the the uyghur forced labor uh, act so i think india is more clear right but india has limitations india's limitations sometimes forces india to manage the relationship with china rather than confrontation simply because we are not quite there where we want to be which is why i said that for india to effectively take on china the first thing would be to put your head down and uh, and and just record uh, near double digit growth for two decades do internal balancing and if you grow strong the other things will fall in place the problem with india however is that it's a democracy and any uh, democracy when it goes through reforms it will not be as smooth as it was with china because it could simply you know uh, uh, plow through the uh, s- certain thing it could simply force some certain reforms into place which which is more difficult for for a country like india so we'll have to be more patient uh, to answer the question in a short way no i don't think india is uh, starry eyed about china at all 
quite the contrary in fact all right so shimoy i know we have to wrap things up so but before we go is there anything else you would like to add or any new project that you're working on would you like to tell us about that well uh, not not project but i i do write on strategic affairs and i'll i'm, I'm continuing to write that on write on that india and china and chinese elite politics is something which really interests me um you know people who follow me on twitter handle would know that i invest a lot of time in reading up and on sharing stuff on china so that is something which in which my interests lie i i'm certainly uh, very curious to see uh, how this leading up to the 20th party congress uh, shapes up because i believe that this is this is a situation in which china in order to hide its internal vulnerabilities will do a lot of power flexing on the outside just to keep the domestic audience distracted because uh, there's a lot of things which is going on in china right now which are not good xi jinping he might show that he's a man in control and he has all the power but you'll be surprised to know that he's been launching a series of purges inside the police force and inside the intelligence community and apparently many people are being caught who are quote unquote planning uh, you know um, wrong things against the core leader apparently it is another way of saying that they are planning conspiracies so xi jinping is a very insecure person and he he's he very trust anyone so for a person who's insecure who poses to be all powerful he has to have some external power flexing to keep the narrative in check and i think that is why the the chances of a conflict with china along the arunachal becomes that much higher which is why i'm a little worried had it been a stable period inside china uh, perhaps the uh, the the hope for a negotiated uh, settlement would have been greater but right now i i, I this is where i i am a little worried about how things are shaping up got it got it uh all right shimoy uh, we'll wrap it we'll wrap it up for the day uh, as always pleasure talking to you thanks a lot for thanks, coming Michelle, on the podcast thanks thanks for the thanks for the great questions i hope i was able to answer them uh, all right guys so please follow shimoy on twitter so if you go to the description of this podcast whether you're watching this on youtube right now or listening to this on spotify itunes wherever uh please go on the description and for you know you'll have uh, shimoy's twitter handle over there also i have kept a link to all of shimoy's uh, articles which he writes regularly in first post so i would recommend all of you to please go and read them and follow him on twitter uh, we'll wrap today's discussion up uh, please subscribe to the uh, channel subscribe also on the audio portals like the video leave a comment even on the audio portals if you want to support the chavak podcast monetarily you can become a member on patreon or on youtube or you can send your donations directly to upi or buy the chavak podcast merch either on kadak merch or on kushalmehra.com i'll see you guys next time until then take care goodbye